Welcome to The Crone of Temple, Texas, a podcast featuring Barbara Wendland, an 87-year-old woman who helped pioneer progressive Christianity in the U.S., calling the church to examine its outdated practices and beliefs. The church needs to change. That didn't become apparent to Barbara until midlife. Since then, however, it has steadily become more and more apparent to her. If God is trying to get the church to change, it shouldn't surprise us. Often in the Bible and Christian history, we find God urgently trying to get religious people to make needed changes. Still, it's hard to imagine that God might actually want us to change. When people are active in the church, they tend to assume that they're doing God's will. But surprisingly, throughout history, the people who have most adamantly refused to make the changes God wanted have been the most religious people. I'm really looking forward to this next section of your Connections article, Barbara, because you write about the metaphorical interpretation of the Jubilee year and vines representing duties and expectations that you placed on yourself and others may have placed on you. Many of the so-called vines perhaps should have never been vines throughout your life. This scripture from Leviticus in the Old Testament describes the Jubilee year. You shall have the trumpet sounded throughout all your land. You shall hallow the 50th year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. You shall not sow or reap the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vines. You shall eat only what the field itself produces. You shall not cheat one another, but you shall fear your God. Fifty seemed old to me when I was there. Fifty was the first birthday that made me feel old, over the hill, and that was miserable. Then a friend reminded me of the year of Jubilee described in the Bible. Fifty didn't have to be such a bad time after all, I realized. I began looking at the Bible's description of Jubilee as I would look at a dream or a work of art expressed in symbolic language. When I looked at the land as a way of picturing a person's whole self as it might be in a dream, I saw the 50th year as a time for recovering parts of myself that I had, in effect, allowed to be taken away from me or to be enslaved, either by other people's unreasonable demands and expectations or by my own. Fifty, I realized, was a time for reclaiming skills, talents, and interests that I had abandoned years earlier in order to follow the pattern that I had mistakenly thought God wanted all women to follow forever. I saw 50 as a time to stop worrying about some of the symbolic fields that I'd been feeling responsible for. It was time to stop worrying about what the scripture calls unpruned vineyards, things I maybe should have done but had not done. I realized that I had sown a lot of good seeds, tended a lot of vines, and reaped good harvests. I saw that I needed to appreciate those accomplishments 
but not to continue all of them forever. I saw that some of them had never even been required. Through the Jubilee Scripture, I felt God was saying to me, Don't cheat or mistreat any parts of yourself. I love and accept them all. Dedicate this time of your life to letting the best and truest parts of yourself bear fruit. Fifty became an eye-opening time for me. I set out in some previously unthinkable new directions that turned out to be life-changing in response to what I later recognized as God's call. In the years around 50, I was discovering new and valuable things about myself and other people. I discovered the influence of personality types and the importance of dreams as a medium through which God speaks. I realized for the first time that women are continually and unjustly relegated to second-class status by language and other customs, even in the church. At 50, I started attending seminary and the Academy for Spiritual Formation. I started writing, too, as a way of reflecting and praying at first, but then daring to hope that others might want to read some of what I wanted to write. Eventually, I started writing Connections. I've now written it for more than 25 years. I don't know where it may go from here, but for now, I expect to continue its legacy in some way. For Christians, for whom the church is important, getting older can be a difficult time. Even if we feel that we still have something to give, finding ways of giving it can be hard. In a study of six Protestant denominations, men and women of age 70 and older were found to have greater maturity in faith than any other segment of the congregations that were studied. However, churches were making little use of this group to help other members mature in faith. I wonder why. I suspect it's for several reasons. Some older members, of course, no longer want active roles in the church. Some oppose all changes that don't fit their personal preferences or what they are used to. So leaders, understandably, don't want them in significant decision-making roles. Another reason may be that some older members travel a lot. They visit children and grandchildren, and they make sightseeing trips that they couldn't make earlier in life. As a result, they aren't consistently available for the many church jobs that must be done on a regular schedule. Also, cultural changes have lessened many older people's ability to communicate effectively with younger ones. Older people's tools are likely to be lectures and printed materials instead of the videos, computers, contemporary music, and multimedia that are more likely to reach younger people. Besides, older members didn't have to cope with so much drug use, sexual promiscuity, and violence in their youth or child-raising years, so their experience may not seem useful to younger churchgoers. 
Another reason may be one encountered by lay Christians of all ages whose gifts happen to be in areas such as theology, spiritual guidance, or evaluating and planning. Because many clergy apparently consider this their exclusive turf, these lay members, whatever their age, don't get to make the contributions that God calls them to make and gives them the gifts for making. Can older Christians find significant ways to use their experience, talents, skills, and spiritual gifts in their churches? What changes would that require? As more birthdays approach for me, I'm reevaluating this. Even as a crone, I'd like to keep sounding the trumpet of celebration. I'd like to keep putting the land that is myself to fruitful use. I hope that listening to my thoughts will help you do that for yourself and thus help some churches benefit from gifts they're missing. So that's that's a good transition point of reflecting on things. Um, can you talk the metaphorical jubilee and what that period of your life meant for you to reflect on your own life? Well, I think some of those terms in the scripture about the jubilee year, like I think the the land represented sort of one's whole life, the whole expanse of one's life. And um, when it talked about the vines that you tended in your earlier life was representing what kind of, of duties you performed, perhaps, what kind of work you did. And then it, the Jubilee year was said to be a time that you could stop worrying about any of those duties that you had, had failed to do that you should have done or that maybe you you did some that weren't really necessary. It talks about leaving some vines untended. If you hadn't looked after them up to now, you would realize that maybe you didn't look didn't need to look after all those vines. That some of them represented other people's expectations or requirements of you. And at the jubilee point in your life, you could accept the fact that maybe some of those expectations that you filled, you didn't need to fill, really, that you did it unnecessarily. At least I think that's that's what seemed important to me. That was a big part of it for me was to recognize that I had really worked at filling, fulfilling the expectations uh, 
that society had for what women should do. And I tried to do a lot of that because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. And then the Jubilee time represented a time when I began realizing that I didn't need to fulfill all those expectations. Some of them were unreasonable expectations. And so I didn't need to do them. And I could turn loose of some of them now at the Jubilee midlife point. But I think there's a sense in which we all maybe sort of have a continuous jubilee in our lives where we we need to look at the land that was our life and to see um, what expectations are reasonable and which ones are unreasonable and to uh, see what we can turn loose of and what we still need to work at. If Barbara today at 87 years old could speak to Barbara as a 30-year-old, what would you say to her? Oh, my heavens, I don't know. Uh, What are those expectations that you would say don't tend to? Just feeling like I had to, to be the person who did the uh, all the housework and the cooking and the the uh, yard work and um, and belonged to uh, a lot of organizations that were prominent in the community and uh, sort of expected that that the leading women of the community would be part of. By age 30, I was I had been married for about four years. So that was after I'd already made the decision to quit my job as a mathematician. And maybe the person I was at age 30 needed to be encouraged to find some mental activity to take part in, to to not feel like I was wasting time if I sat down and read a book, and to um, make more effort to develop friendships with people who were involved in mental intellectual activity rather than just the necessities of day-to-day life? I don't know. That's a hard question. Of course, Barbara, you are a woman and a mother, but the essence of this applies to men and women no matter what stage we find ourselves in. I think it gets beyond releasing some of the vines we've put a higher priority on than, than necessary. This gets beyond giving yourself some grace and recognizing you're in a stage of life that carries its own challenges and you don't have to live up to everyone's expectations of you. I think the heart of what I'm hearing from you, Barbara, is that I and the listeners of this podcast have our whole lives ahead of us. 
what type of person are we going to be? Yeah, I guess so. What is the trajectory you want to set yourself on? Because at the age of 30, you foreseeably have your whole life ahead of you. So what is truly your priority and what ultimately do you want to direct your life toward? Yes, and at age 30, I really had not given that any particular thought other than just meeting the expectations. One of the things that really struck me at midlife was that I suddenly felt that I had finished all of life that I knew to expect. The only things I had thought about um, my life consisting of were just getting married, having children, um, taking part in community activities in the church and so on. And um, now then at, at midlife, I had the feeling of I've been there and done that, and what do I do now? What else is there to do in life? I hadn't really thought past that. This was, this was I felt like, a big step in your life. Um, when you said, when I looked at the land as a way of picturing a person's whole self, as it might be in a dream, I saw the 50th year as a time for recovering parts of myself that I had in effect allowed to be taken away from me or to be enslaved, either by other people's unreasonable demands or expectations or by my own. So that's a, that's a very big step that you took. How did you identify these and what did it reveal about who you'd become at that point in your life? It revealed that I had become simply what people expected all women to be. And that although I felt that I had a lot of interests and abilities that were different from that, I had not had much opportunity to pursue those interests or use those abilities. It revealed something that I was really missing and wishing for the opportunity to to use. And yet, at first, I didn't really see any way to do that. I didn't see any way out of just meeting those expectations that I had had felt were essential in earlier years. What a painful time, I'm sure. Um, I wonder how many of us don't feel that there is any way out of the expectations put on us. You said you realized you had sown a lot of good seeds, tended a lot of vines, and reaped a good harvest. You saw that you needed to appreciate those accomplishments, but not to continue them all forever. I know not everyone listening to this podcast would even call themselves a Christian, but this statement sounds a lot like the essence of Christianity. 
a time of letting the old fall off to die away and the new to be reborn. Yes, I suppose that's true. I thought of it, that part about having uh, planted good seeds and so on. Um, I felt that I had done a lot of things that were admirable enough and and worthwhile enough that um, I didn't need to belittle those that they were they were good things in so far as they went but they were not the kind of things that I needed to keep doing forever. And moving on from them was sort of painful in that I had made a lot of friends and to move away in a sense from those friends was painful because most of them still seem to be uh, involved in those same kinds of things. They weren't letting those things go. They were just still active in them. And in fact, uh, one of those friends still at the age that she and I are now, is still, still seems to be equally interested in those same kind of activities that we were both so active in in earlier years. And yet I could see that I was not going to be still happy to still satisfied with doing those things so to move up move on in any sense from that group of close friends um five or six women friends that was sort of a painful experience and to begin with i didn't see any friends who would would continue to be as important to me and to play as prominent a place in my life as those women friends had but yet in the long run it's been a welcome change because it's allowed for growth yes. and evolution and progress yes. and not being, not that, not that they held you back as anchors, but you tend to, you tend to grow as an individual, not necessarily as a whole group of people. Right. That I, the directions I was beginning to go in were not directions that were of interest to them. Through the Jubilee scripture, you felt God was saying something to you. You said, don't cheat or mistreat any parts of yourself. 
I love and accept them all. Dedicate this time of your life to letting the best and the truest parts of yourself bear fruit. Don't cheat or mistreat any parts of yourself. That takes a great deal of courage to look honestly at yourself and ask some very difficult questions. This is something that I feel many of us should do at various points in our life. How have you done this and what was revealed during that time? Well, I think what was revealed was that I needed to uh, pursue some things like writing, uh, writing connections, examining what was going on in the church and where I saw change as needed and what I might be able to do about that. And I think those were, in general, the parts of myself that I hadn't done anything about or hadn't really been that aware of as being important in earlier years. But at this jubilee point, I, was, I had become aware that using some abilities that I had not been using and um, pursuing some interests and, and becoming oh, sort of an activist and pursuing, pursuing projects and causes that I thought were important and were maybe more important than what I had previously been doing. Can you talk about connections and the purpose for it, of you starting it, starting to write it, and ultimately how long you continued it? I started writing connections in 1992, and my reason for starting it was that I had begun to realize that I felt really alone in some ways within my church. I was seeing changes that I thought were seriously and urgently needed in the church. Some of them had to do with the so-called women's issues of uh, needing to uh, give women more prominence in the church and society, uh, partly through the, the use of, of language that didn't present women as second-class people. Uh, I thought that change was definitely needed. I was becoming more aware of the need for lay people to play a prom more prominent role in the church. I was becoming somewhat aware of some injustices in the church and the world that I thought needed our attention. And I felt really alone. I discovered that there were people out there who had concerns that were similar to mine. And I began to think it would be nice if someone would 
maybe write a letter every every once in a while just to restate these concerns that I I now realize that so many of us had uh, to remind us of them and to encourage us that they that those concerns really were important even though we felt alone that we were not really alone in the larger church and finally it occurred to me that i was the somebody who could do it that i had the necessary resources and abilities to do to write that kind of a letter or something. And so I started Connections. I realized that that if I really hoped to accomplish anything uh, toward uh, bringing those concerns to attention of people who could do something about them, that I needed to send this letter to a much larger mailing list and a much broader mailing list, not just the kindred spirits that I already was aware of, but to people who maybe never had thought about these concerns before. But to my amazement, I immediately started hearing from recipients of it. And uh, many of these recipients who contacted me right away started saying, how can I get you to add some more people to your mailing list? How can I get you to add uh, my pastor, the members of my Sunday school class, or my uh, group of friends? And so my list just mushroomed very quickly, really. I began sending connections to a much larger list that was, it was a list of several thousand people and eventually people that were in every state of the U.S. and even uh, some other countries. But then after doing it for about 25 years, I got to the point where I felt like I needed to stop or slow down because I had become old and it it wasn't as easy for me to to do this writing and mailing as it once had been and and partly I felt like I had kind of said everything I wanted to say and eventually now I have really stopped writing connections so can you transition that into now we're re-engaging? Now I'm sitting here interviewing you. Now we're talking about podcasting. So talk about how we've kind of picked up that torch again and are yes are uh, perpetuating or giving a, a, a new audience and a longer shelf life to your life's work. When I stopped writing Connections my life felt very empty in a way because that had taken up a lot of my time and and thought and so I really missed it and I began to to realize that but now in the last 
year or so, I've began pursuing, um, I guess, the same purpose as I was trying to pursue with connections in this new way of um, expanding my website and finding uh, a new kindred spirit, in fact, to to converse with and to work with on doing um, speaking out in some new and different ways on these podcasts and and so that has it's really been an enlivening experience for me to be back in the position of actively thinking of these about these concerns that I have and communicating with other people about them though now it's some different and additional people that I hadn't had any way to contact before and so that's that has been uh, a really welcome new experience for me that really is one of the focuses of this podcast as well. Yes, some people will agree with much of what you say, Barbara, but we also hope that people will listen um, who perhaps haven't thought about these questions or topics before. I suppose my ultimate dream is that, that people will respond to it in the same kind of way that they responded to Connections I don't have any way of knowing, of course, how much longer I'm going to live. And uh, logically, I know that it's not likely to be a terribly long, uh, terribly much longer time. But I hope now that in this method of continuing what I am doing, that uh, even if I'm not still living, this process may be able to still continue. As I've started thinking about new ways to to work toward my concerns that I have had for many years, an important part of that has been meeting new people who I realized had similar concerns to mine and had abilities and interest and willingness to help pursue them. One of those is the person that you're hearing on these recordings, who is Joe Braun, who is a filmmaker and I have gotten to know as a kindred spirit friend. And so he is a voice that you will be hearing in part of these recordings, part of these podcasts. And he's been giving me valuable help in continuing this project and in taking a lot of the main responsibility for it, in fact, as far as the um, practical aspects of recording the 
the podcasts and um, helping me discover ways to communicate that are different from what I'd been doing earlier with connections and other writing. This has been great, Barbara. I'm looking forward to what comes from this and hearing from you on some of these topics that are important conversations. Please subscribe to The Crone of Temple, Texas and leave us a review. Share with anyone you think would be interested. Visit Connections Online for a vast array of full articles by Barbara and follow her on social media.